Lord, we ask you to bless this time as we look at your word. We ask you to guide, lead, show us what you would want us to see through all of this time. And we thank you for your word and for your love and for your care. In Jesus' name, amen. Job chapter 1, we're going to be at verse 9, excuse me, 13. We've been looking at Job, how, how his life was said that it was good. Satan encouraged God to let him test him. Uh, God said yes. And that's kind of where we left off last week. So we're going to look at Satan testing Job. And remember that God told him that all that he has, all that he has is in your power, but you can't touch Job. So this is what we're going to see is Satan's interpretation of that uh, instruction. So verse 13. And there was a day when the sons and daughter, when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And there came a messenger unto Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. And the Sabians fell upon us and took them away. Yea, they have been slain, the servants with the edge of the sword. And I only am escaped alone to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The fire of God has fallen from heaven and has burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I only am escaped alone to tell you. And when he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans made out three bands and fell upon the camels and have carried them away. Yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell you. And while he was yet speaking, there came also another and said unto him, Your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house, and it did fall upon the young men men and they are dead and I only am escaped alone to tell you then Job arose and rent his mantle shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshiped and said naked came I in in, out of my mother's womb and naked shall I return thither the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away blessed be the name of the Lord all in all this Job sinned not nor charged God foolishly all right when Satan came to test Job he came in a very strong way. Uh, he takes everything away from Job, literally everything, except for his wife and four servants. And remember, he has been one of the richest men in the East. He is a righteous man. And we, he, he comes in and he says, on a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking, there came a messenger to Job saying, the oxen and the ass are, do- are dead. The, Sabian- the Sabians came to take them. And we talked about this last week, that the Sabians were a people from the southern part of Arabia. They came up and they took away all of his animals and killed his servants. So that's bad enough. Now, you lost all your donkeys, you lost all your ox, and he had a lot of them. They, they were used to plow fields and maintain his fields. And that came, and the bad news is, is while that guy is still speaking, another man comes up from another part of his property. He tells him that the fire of God has fallen from heaven and has burned up your sheep and your servants. Now this one has to be a little more disturbing to Job. It's bad enough that, you know, an enemy came up, took his, took his uh, sheep and his oxen. You know, he's probably thinking, okay, I'll just gather up my, my servants. We'll go... We'll go rescue, we'll go rescue the, don- the donkeys and the oxen. They can't have gotten very far because they can't drive them that fast. And you know, he's figuring, I got lots and lots of servants. Um, remember when Lot was captured, Abraham went out with his army of servants and rescued him. 
And I'm sure Job is looking at the same thing. Well, I've got lots of servants. I can go, I can go rescue him. Now he gets a second bad news. His sheep have been consumed by fire. Now, I don't know if this was lightning that struck a, struck a fire and burned the field, or literally a ball of fire came from heaven. Uh, but this one is going to be a little more disruptive to, to Job. All right. First, well, I can rescue, the, I can rescue those. It's, they've just been taken by people. I can go rescue them. But this one seems to be from God. Fire from heaven. Now, we know that Satan is the one that's done it. But fire comes in and consumes all the sheep, all of the shepherds, everybody watching those sheep. Now, so now he's got two pieces of bad news in, in very quick order. All right. My oxes and my, my, my uh, donkeys are gone. I'm, I, you know, and I'm still thinking, okay, well, I've lost about half of my servants, but I can still go rescue my oxen and my, and my donkeys. And while he was yet speaking, the Chaldeans come. Now, the Chaldeans are a tribe up around the Euphrates River, the, the Medes, and, Medes and Persians and the Chaldeans all in that area up there. And it says, they came in three bands and carried away um, and made off with your camels and carried them away and have slain all your servants. All right. So now things are looking pretty bad for him. And I can almost imagine, you know, this was a pretty big blow. My, the Sabians to the south have taken my oxen and my sheep. I've now lost three quarters of my servants. The because the Chaldeans are going north with them now. How, with one quarter of my servants, can I go rescue my camels <laughs> and my oxen and my sheep? And I'm sure that that's how he was thinking at first. He's very wealthy. He's got lots of things. Okay, now I've got a problem. My stuff is going north and south. <laughs> and I've lost a lot of my servants, so I can't even split my servants up to go <laughs> chase, the, chase them down. You know, and you can figure this, is, this has been a pretty big blow to him. Then he gets the big one. He says, while your sons and your daughters were feasting at that house, a, wind come, a great wind came and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell flat. This sounds like it was some kind of tornado that hit them. Hit them. All right? And it says, all of them are dead, and I'm the only servant that is gotten away. So Job, in a matter of minutes... <laughs> has gone from the wealthiest man in the East, being totally blessed by God and having all kinds of stuff, to having four servants, himself, and a wife. Everything else has been removed. Now, probably his tent that he lives in, whatever, doesn't appear to be taken. His home hasn't been taken. So whatever he has in his home is okay. But he has lost everything that he counts, counts dear. All the blessings of God are gone. In a matter of, you know, I mean, how long does it take to give that message? We read it in 15 minutes, and that took a little while because we were discussing it. You know, in a matter of 5 to 15 minutes, he says, I have lost everything. Now, how do we respond when we lose everything? The, the rug is pulled out from under us, and there are people that I know that will be just like Job. Right? God gave it to me. He took it away. You know, I'm going to keep following God. Some people, some people say, yeah, some people say, why did God let this happen to me? I don't like God anymore. You know, Job at least knows God. He doesn't understand any of this. All right. 
Because we're going to find throughout the book that he is a prosperity gospel person. You, you do right and you get blessed. And all, all of a sudden, all he knows is, I've been doing right and I have nothing. Everything's been taken away. God, I could understand that if I had sinned and done, done something wrong. But I've been honoring you. I've been giving my sacrifice. Remember, we read in the first part, he, his, he's even making sacrifices for his kids in case they have uh, sinned against God. So he's doing everything he can to please God. As far as he's concerned, none of this should be happening to him. But he knows God and he does have a trust in God. And this is where we're going to find all through the book, Job is confused, but he trusts God. Now his friends, they're absolutely sure that he had to have done something wrong and that's why everything bad is happening to him. And they're going to be very accusative you know, we're going to see they start out right. They start out in, in doing things correctly, and then they start talking. <laughs> Usually when we talk, we get ourselves into trouble. And his friends start talking, and they're going to open their mouth and get in trouble with Job, get in trouble with God. Well, I, they started right. You know, the question is, how many times do even we do the same thing? We don't know what to say. And then we try to say something, and it turns out wrong. And I've said this many times. I love Romans 8:28. For all things work together for good for those who love God and called according to His purpose. But I learned a long time ago: don't tell that to somebody who doesn't believe it. You know, God's got it all worked. I thought I'd talk to, you know, walked into a lion's den. You know, because they went crazy, because they did not believe it going into the problem. So they were definitely not going to believe it in the middle of the problem. And this is what Job's friends do. They start giving him godly counsel from their understanding because they're prosperity gospel people too. And saying, Job, if you were doing right, then none of this would have happened. So you, but you have to have done something wrong because their attitude is bad things don't happen to good people. Now, I don't know where they get that from, but that is the message that Satan gives to people. Bad things don't happen to good people. So if bad things are happening, you're either very bad or God doesn't love you and you don't, shouldn't follow him. And you'll hear that from people that bad things happen to them. God doesn't care for me. He doesn't love me. Otherwise, these things wouldn't be happening to me. No, God's trying to get your attention, and you're, you're suffering from the consequences of what you're doing. And this is where we are at. So Job is standing there, four servants around him, giving him bad news. And I love his response He's got four servants, a wife himself, and probably the house that he's living in or tent or whatever he's living in. And he tore his, his mantle, shaved his head, and fell down on the ground and, I love this, worshipped. He didn't go, God, why, how come, what, what's going on? He worshipped God. But the biggest reason, and we talked about this in the first last week, was why does God let these things happen to us? Because if our theology is wrong... God will work out situations that go against our theology. Satan just said, I want to go get Job, and Job will, Job will curse you if you do enough bad. And God goes, yeah, Job needs, a, Job needs a lesson on his theology. He's a prosperity gospel guy. Let's go ahead and take his stuff away, and he will learn that I am still God. All right, that's his whole purpose. And God will do that with all of us. When we think we know something, and especially if it's wrong, God will set in and, and say, let's, see, let's do something that goes against your theology and see if you're going to still trust me. And this is what's going on in Job's case. 
Now Satan thinks, okay, I'm going to win this. I'm going to really run this guy through the coals and, and he's going to curse God and I'm going to win. And God's saying, okay, Job, I want Job to learn, I want Job to learn a lesson. Uh, it tells us how righteous Job is and how really true he loves God because of his response. And, he, and I love this because he said, naked came I in the world, naked I'm going to go back to God. Blessed be the name of God. This is a man who really, even though it's coming across, you know, and he's going, well, I had everything, I've been good, and, you know, God wants to take it away, he can take it away. He has the right attitude. And at this point, he's doing good. Personal possessions, he doesn't understand it, don't get me wrong, he does not understand why everything's been taken away, because he's been good. But he's still handling it up to this point very well. Well, I just lost everything. Easy come, easy go. I'll, you know, God will have to give it back to me or we'll just have to start all over again. And this is the attitude of many wealthy people because if you study the lives of people who have made millions of dollars, they've also gone bankrupt several times in their life usually because they're taking chances. They're used to it. They're used to going back down to nothing and having to start all over again. And their attitude is, been there once, can do it again. Let me just start with a new plan. And I think that's where Job was at. Okay, this is a really bad, bad string of events, uh, but you know, God, we did it once. We did it once already. We can, we can do it again. I still got my wife. I still have my. I still have four servants. I still have a tent. I can, I still own the land. Uh, I can, I can rebuild and, and get a couple, get a couple goats and oxen and sheep, and we'll start all over again. He's passing the test up to this point, real well. And I, and I think it's impressive, you know, and I've met, and I've seen people, you know, they, you'll hear the testimony of fire burnt down and go, at least I've got my life, you know, my family wasn't in the home, whatever, you know, I can start all over, God's still, God's still good. Other people say, man, this is the most terrible thing, everything I own is gone, and, you know, Job has the right attitude up to this point. Lost everything? Oh, well, I still have God and I still have my wife. Now, granted, he lost seven children, nine children, excuse me, but he still has his wife, still has four servants, doesn't have much else, but in his mind, I can start over. Not, not the end of the world, I still have my life. So this is where we are with Job, and again, remember, we had this great advantage. We know why these four things happened to him. He does not know that. He, all he knows is, I've been following God, I've been worshiping God, I've been offering sacrifices, I've been worshiping and I'm still worshiping and I lost everything and I'm not supposed to lose everything when I when I'm worshiping God but I lost everything and he still has a picture of the sovereignty of God and this is something that he's going to learn as he goes forward now his friends do not have that picture they don't love God they don't seem to worship God they don't seem to know God the way Job does and so here we go chapter 2 Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said unto Satan, From whence come you? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and walking up and down. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him in all the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that fears God and eschews evil. And still he holds fast his integrity, although you moved me against him to destroy him without cause. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yea, all that a man has will he give up for his life. But put forth your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, 
and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he is in your hand, but save his life. All right, so here we have a repeat of chapter 1, except now we're going to have a higher level of attack. And so we have, again, the gathering of the angels before God. The sons of, the sons of, the sons of uh, God are generally the angels. Not always, but generally. So the angels are gathered before God in his presence. And the word for presence there really is this idea of people that are ready before a sovereign ruler. You know, we're, we're there, give us, your, give us your commands. It would be like uh, gathering up your troops at, in the battle and say, okay, you know, this lieutenant go over there with your troops, you, you go over there with your troops, you go over there with your troops. They're, they're before God saying, okay, we're ready for orders. And Satan shows up. You know, it's very interesting to see the relationship Satan has with God compared to what people think the relationship is between God and Satan. People think Satan has all this power and is, you know, fighting God tooth and nail with everything he has to win a battle. He has to show up for God and get permission to do anything. And what's worse again, God goes, hey, Satan, uh, you've been running around the earth. Have you, have you, given, have you given thought to, to Job? You know, it's really you know, hard to understand. God's pointing Job out. Satan, have you, have you even thought about Job? Oh, yeah, I've been thinking a lot about Job. You know, I, you know, I've been really thinking about him since I took all of his stuff away and he's still worshiping. I've been really thinking about him. But, you know, if you just take his health away, if you, if you, make, you know, make life di really difficult for him, he will curse you. Satan is absolutely sure that he knows how people are going to react. And the sad thing is, most of the time he's right. But when he comes against a righteous person who has full faith in God, he may not be right. And God allows these tests to say, do you really believe? Will Job still be faithful at the next step? Now, God knows the answer. God knows that Job is going to be faithful. God knows that Job is going to learn that God is sovereign in a greater and deeper way. God also knows that Job's well, three friends plus one need to learn a lesson too. When I talk, and I say this all the time, when I quote Romans 8.28, it isn't always something that is for our good. Everything Job was going through was not necessarily for his good. Now, he's going to learn a lesson about God's sovereignty, but we see he already understands a bit about God's sovereignty. He still believes prosperity gospel, and we're going to see that in his answers to all of his friends. But he knows the sovereignty of God. He understands that God can do what God wants to do. His three friends need to learn a lesson. How are they going to learn their lesson? By watching what Job goes through. And we need to really understand sometimes what we go through is for others to see us stay faithful to God. Very hard to do. Very tough. And it's hard when you're looking and going, God, I really don't deserve any of this. What are you trying to teach me? Maybe he's not even trying to teach you anything. He's trying to teach those that are watching you what's going on. Job's hardships, Job's going to learn a few things, but mostly it's for his three friends. Prepare to prepare Job for prosperity. Oh, yes. When you read his friends' arguments against God punishing him, and Job, absolutely, his three friends, absolutely all prosperity gospel people. 
You do good, God blesses you. Bad things happen to you, you've done something wrong. And this is the problem with the prosperity gospel is that people look at it just that black and white. If everything's going good for you, boy, you're really worshiping God. Oh, it's a wonderful gospel. All I got to do is good, good things. Look at all the blessings I get. I'll have Lamborghini in, the, in, the, in there. I'll have 20-bedroom house and servants and money flowing out, the, out of the safes. And just doesn't work that way. And if you don't have it, you'll hear them say, well, something's wrong with your life. You don't have all of that stuff. Something's wrong with the way you're living. Just like Job's friends are going to tell him, Job, you did something wrong. And this is the problem with that gospel. It's the problem when people think they're right anyway. I'm absolutely right, and what, and what you're doing is, you know, tells me that you're wrong. And they judge and judge and judge. You know, but how many times have we seen that when somebody is so absolutely sure that they're right about something in your life, and they're going to make sure that you know where it is and what's bad. Now, if you have the right relationship and you've been invited to be of somebody's life to, to help correct them, that's fine. If you have a good relationship with them, you, you, but you still want to be nice. You still want to say the truth in love. Job's friends are not going to be loving when they finally start speaking. But Job, again, does not know. He does not know about the first meeting with God when all of his stuff was taken away from him. He does not know about this second meeting with God where his health is going to be taken away from him. And, you know, I'm going to state that there is a third test that nobody ever identifies. Satan gets Job's friends to speak, speak harsh words to him. Satan is behind that as well. Satan probably, even though it doesn't tell us, goes to God a third time and goes, yeah, well, he's been okay, but let's, let's turn his friends against him and see how long he'll, he'll stay focused on you. Satan's battle has never changed. It's the same way. Take away their stuff. Oh, you're not going to curse God? Take away their health. Oh, you're not going to curse God? Well, let's get your friends to help you to curse God. Now, and over and over again, we see the same pattern. Satan does nothing new. He's had a lot of practice, almost 6,000 years of practice, tripping up human beings. But they're the same test with little cover here, a little cover there. He's the original flimflam artist who they all have the same process. They just change the, change the cloaks, change the window dressing. Satan just changes the window dressing. Everything we're going through today has happened in the past. And we see this over and over again. And as we watch things melting away in our world, and you look at what Satan has always done through history, and you're going, how can people keep falling for the same uh, argument, the same lie, the same problem? And yet we see them falling over and over and over again. And, you know, it's like, didn't you learn from this group? Didn't you learn from that group? Didn't you learn from this, this event? And the answer is no. <laughs> I didn't learn. Didn't you go to the Bible and see what the Bible says? No, nope. we're going to go to the Bible and see what the Bible says. This, his testimony is still the same. Have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on the earth. Exactly like for chapter 1. He is a perfect or a complete and moral person and an upright man that fears God and hates evil. And, and then he adds one, and he still holds fast his integrity, although you moved me or incited me or requested of me to touch him. All right? 
And this isn't just saying, like, we would read it, say, you moved me, so I did it. No, he says, you requested the permission, and I gave it to you. You know, and this is the thing about Satan. He is being used by God to grow his people and to prove where they're at to them. Our God already knows where you're at. God knows when I say, I will never do such and such, he goes, uh-huh, okay. Let's let Satan test you in that area that you'll never do. And Satan is a master at, at manipulation, and he'll get us to fall for that area that we will never fall in. I want to be very careful that I never say I will never fall in that. Because I would have told you as a teenager, I would never walk away from the church and not be away from the church. And yet I got to be in the workaholism and walked away from the church for two years. Didn't go into deep sin or anything. I just went to work all, you know, 80 hours a week. Went home to sleep. Didn't even see the kids hardly. Didn't hardly see my wife. All I did was work. And, you know, I had my excuses. I was tired. I had just come off a 16-hour shift. The last thing I want to do is go to church and fall asleep. You know, I just want to stay and go to sleep because i got to be back at work again in, in about three hours and had all my excuses. I would have told you I was doing it for my family. I need to support my family, take care of my family. I had all kinds of excuses lined up on why I was doing what I was doing. And the next thing you know, I'm doing the very thing I would have said, there is no way that I would ever do. I've learned from that. Put a guard on your heart. Where you think you're strong is usually where you're going to fall. Because we guard where we're weak. We go, I'm very weak in this area. I'm going to, I'm going to put all the army over there where I'm weak. And you know what ends up happening even in real war? You guard where you're weak and the enemy attacks where you think you're strong because you don't have any troops there because you're strong in that area and they, they defeat you oftentimes. And we do that with our life so often. I would never do, you know, put in whatever it is you think you'd never do. And you go, okay, I'm going to guard over here because I've got a real big problem over here. But I would never commit adultery. I would never skip out in church. I would never do this, you know. And you guard this other area of your life where you know you're weak and you fall in this area that you think you're strong in. And this is what Satan is saying. You know, hey, you know, you touch, it, you touch him. Yeah. You know, he took all of his stuff away. Uh, it, it was just stuff. He, he understands that you're, you know, you're God and you know, it was just stuff. He recognized that. He goes, but if you touch him, he's going he's gonna to be upset with you. So now we look at verse 7. And oh, verse 6, God said, okay, you can, you can touch him but you must not take his life. You can make him sick, you can make him wish to be dead, you can do all that, but you cannot kill him. Verse 7, So Satan went forth to the, from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto the, to his crown. And he took him a pot shard and scraped himself wherewith, and he sat down among the ashes. All right. Satan comes along and says, okay, I'm going to make him miserable. And all of a sudden, Job is struck with some form of rash from head to toe. We don't know what it is. Uh, I kind of looked it up as an idea, and there is a disease. It's called Job syndrome. It's hyperimmunoglobulin E. And it basically is running, draining, sores, and infections from your head to your bottom that get infected, and it's a long-term infection. Here is Job, probably a pretty healthy man. You know, he's been maintaining a farm and all these animals. 
and all of a sudden he has running infected sores and boils covering his body. And if you've ever even had one boil on your body, it's bad enough. You get something like uh, shingles or something, and you get a picture of what this is, but it's not just in, in one patch like it was in shingles. It's covering his whole body. He's itching. He's in pain. He's suffering. And it says he takes a pot shard or a piece of clay pot and starts rubbing it over his body, basically scratching himself, making it worse. Yeah, you know, we've all seen that happen where we scratch, the, we scratch that in infected area and all we do is make it worse because then it starts bleeding and, and gets infected and he's sitting there scraping it, trying to, trying to make it feel better. Uh, and he's miserable. Uh, I can't imagine what he's going through at this point. You know, all of a sudden, you know, and he's probably thinking at this point, all right, I lose all my possessions, now I'm sick. And he's... And it says he sat down among the ashes, scraping his body with this pot shard. You know, and that is pretty miserable. Uh, think chicken pox or, or measles or something, except it's worse because it is actual boils. You know, what do we want to do when, we, you know, even if you remember back in your kids had chicken pox, or you, you just want to scratch them. You just want to scratch them. And he's got this, whatever disease it is, over his whole body to make him miserable. Because Satan wants him to be as miserable as possible. So he hits him with, you know, one of the th descriptions I saw that they call this black leprosy. This, the scales and the, and the scabs and the, and the infections. And he's in the desert, so whenever he's scratching, he's probably being bothered by flies and, and uh, fleas and everything else that are gonna love this body with all this open, oozing sores. And he is a sight. We're going to see when his friends see him, they're going to go, is that Job over there? Is that really Job? And even to this point, he doesn't seem to, to, to work in. Verse 9 says, Then said his wife unto him, Do you still retain your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said unto her, You speak as one of the foolish women speak. What, shall we receive good at the, God of, at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job sin, uh, did not sin with his lips. His wife comes in. Now, she gets a bad rap, you know. She really gets a bad rap, you know, telling him to curse God and die. But I think it's more that she looks at her husband, who's in extreme pain, extreme agony, and says, you know, it would be better just to curse God and, and be killed. Because that's really what it says, die. Uh, the, the word here for die is that you will be put to death. Curse God and you will be put to death. Let's just get it over with. All right? That's her attitude. And I think it was more out of a loving attitude. You know, I don't want to see you in this much suffering. You know, why are you still holding on that you've done nothing wrong you know, and I think even at that point, she's kind of wondering, Joe, what, what is this secret sin that you have in your life that is causing all this problem? You know, you're still saying that you're, you're innocent, but you've lo we, we've lost everything, and now you're not healthy enough to even support me and the four, four servants and, and have a life because you're sitting here, you know, scrap, uh, scra scraping and bleeding all over. And, and plus, and I think she probably spoke to him more out of love. Job, you know, 
I don't want to see you in this much pain, just curse God. Curse God and get it over with. And I, you know, and I can't prove that, but I just think, you know, that's probably more of where she's going when you really see the picture of what Job is going through. You know, he's lost everything. She has gone from a very wealthy individual as well, even as the wife of a wealthy man. She's lost nine children in one day. That's hard enough, you know. You know, we always think about how bad Job suffered. How about his wife, who's gone from having everything that she could possibly want to having nothing? She has lost her children. You know, this is going to be a big deal to her, too, and we never really think about her. Now her husband is sick with a grievous sickness, and I can't even imagine what it would be like to see this. See somebody that is so sick, so covered with sores, and boils scratching at them, probably bleeding, having these infections ooze all over the place because he can't get any uh, satisfaction from it. And they didn't have nice salves and ointments and lidocaine and all that good stuff to help get rid of the, the pain that we have today. And they probably had some kind of oils or something to put on him, but nothing like we have for painkillers to help out. He is no, had no calamine lotion to, <laughs> to help out. Uh, he is just sitting there, scratching and scratching, bleeding, looking miserable, feeling miserable. And his wife just says, just curse God, get it over with. And even in this, his answer is so simple. He says, you speak as one of the senseless or foolish women. You know, uh, shall we receive good from the hand of God and shall we not receive evil? Again, he understands that God is sovereign. If God wants to give me bad things, I am his servant. I will do whatever, I will go through whatever he allows. Now, I don't know where he gets this kind of doctrine because he doesn't have Romans 8.28. He has no Bible to be able to go back to. He knows only the stories from, from uh, Eber about the God who rescued them through the flood when everything was destroyed. He knows about the nature of God, that God is the one that runs all things. That's all he knows. And he's sitting there saying, if God wants to give us good, we'll take it. If he wants to give us bad, don't know why he's doing it, but we're going to accept that as well. Job has the right attitude about God. Now, he's going to have to learn you know, this idea that, you know, about prosperity, and he's already starting that. He, somehow he is trying to piece together two things he knows about God. Have you ever had a time, and I hope you have because you're growing in, in God, a time where you learn something about God that disagrees with something else you think you know about God? And you have to sit there and figure out, God, how you're, you're, both of these seem to be true. How can they be true? I do this every once in a while with the idea of free will and predestination. How I can I be predestined before God to do something and I have free will? It is very hard. The Bible teaches both. And I can't figure out how they go together. The only thing I am comforted by, God's just a little bit smarter than I am, and he knows how they fit together. I can't figure it out. I've, I've tossed around with that every once in a while over the last, last 50 years. Okay, God, I don't understand this. Can you try to explain it to me? And he really doesn't try to explain it to me. He just says, believe it. You know, when you think about the Trinity, how can you have one God represented in three people and yet they're one God? 
God's just a little bit smarter than we are. He knows how it works. And I love the fact that God is smarter than we are. If I could understand everything there is to know about God, God's not big enough. This is where Job is. God, I really believe that when you do right, you get prosperous, but I also know that you are sovereign and that you have the right to do what you want. And I'm going to tell my wife these things, but uh, I really don't understand why I'm not getting, why all my stuff's being taken away, why my health is being taken away, because I'm a prosperity gospel guy, and I've been worshiping you. I should have stuff. I should be healthy, wealthy, and wise. And the only thing he didn't lose was his wisdom. But he lost his wealth and he lost his health. And he's going, I don't understand. And God will do this to us often when we try to say this is what God does. God will not be put into a box for us to understand. God is too big to be put into a box. Now, he will not stay in a box if we try to put him in. Number one, he doesn't fit. And he won't stay in it even if he could fit. He's going to show us that you can't put him in a box. Job is trying to figure out his two boxes. I'm a prosperity gospel. I, I, believe that, I believe what my friends are going to tell him. We're going to see this as we go along. His friends are going to say that bad things don't happen to good people, and Job's going to answer, yes, I know that that's true, but... <laughs> all right? Uh, it's all in flashy poetry, so we'll pull it out in here. So he's going to have to figure out, how do I understand this? How do I understand that I am not getting what I'm supposed to be getting because I've been good? And yet all these bad things are happening, and I understand God's sovereignty, so I know that it's okay because God is sovereign. And he's struggling with these diametrically opposed viewpoints, and we do so often. We do all the time when we're sitting there trying to figure things out that says, I believe this and this about God, and all of a sudden they seem to be in opposition to each other and, and trying to figure it out, and this is where Job is at with his teaching. He's going, I don't understand this, God. I understand that you're sovereign. I understand that you can do what you want. You're the potter. I'm the clay. You can mold me. You can, you can break me. You can do what you want. I understand all that, but why, am I, why are all these bad things happening to me? I've been worshiping you. I don't deserve this. And he's struggling. Even though he's saying all the right things at this point in time, he doesn't understand. He's struggling in his mind. He's saying the right things. He's reacting the right way out, out in the open. But in the inside, he is struggling. And we would be too if we were in his point with his, with his point of view. Now, we might get by because we look at Romans 8.28 and say, okay, God, I just trust. I don't know. You know. But I've said this also many times. When, when bad things are happening to me, I'll go, God, I just don't understand how this is ever going to work out for good. Job, even if he had Romans 8.28, would be saying, God, I just don't understand how I can lose everything. Now I've lost my health, so I can't even reestablish myself can't take care of my wife. She's going to be you know, as bad off as a widow because I can't take care of her. And we have nothing for her to live on. What's going to happen? You know, and I understand God, did, somehow you're going to work it for good, but I don't understand any of this. He's saying the right things. He's handling, he's rebuking his wife for her not understanding. And he's going to rebuke his three friends when they come along, which we're getting to them next. All right, verse 11. Now when Job's three friends heard that all this evil that was come upon him, they came everyone from his own place, Eliphaz the Telemite, and Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite, and they made an arrangement together to come to mourn with him and to comfort him. And when they lifted up their eyes afar off, they knew him not. They lifted up their voice and wept, and they rent everyone his mantle, and sprinkled dust on their heads toward heaven, 
So they sat down with him upon the ground seven days and seven nights, and none spoke a word unto him, for they saw that his grief was very great. So we're going to look at these three friends. We're not absolutely 100% sure of where, where they're from, what, what they're on, but we're going to take their descriptions. We have Eliphaz the Telmanite. Well, Telman is a city in Edom. So this helps us figure out what time frame we're in. The Edomites were established by Esau's son, or Esau. So this is, he's coming, he is most likely a descendant of Abraham through, uh, through Isaac and Esau. So he is, we said that this time frame is in Abraham's time frame, probably 75 to 100 years after Abraham because Edom has already started. The nation of Edom has already started and there's a city that we know belongs in Edom. All right. Um, so here is a relative of Abraham coming to see Job. Most likely. We have Bildad the Shuhite. He is a, from the tribe of Shua. And I'm sure everybody knows who Shua is. Shua is one of the sons of Abraham from Keturah. And if you don't remember who Keturah is, Keturah is Abraham's second wife after Sarah died. He took another wife after that and had 12 children from his second wife. That the young age of 127 or something like that, uh, he had 12 more kids uh, and didn't give them any of the promises of God. But this particular Shua is of Abraham's direct seed. All right. Um, and Zophar, the Namanite, we don't know where Nama is. <laughs> I looked all over places trying to figure out who, who Nama is. Nobody knew. Uh, there's a rabbi who says Nama was the wife of Noah, but <laughs> he, he wouldn't have been directly from that, <laughs> from that line because it's not the right line. So we don't know anything about this third friend. We do know, though, they made an appointment to come together. They're going, okay, our friend Job is suffering. We need to go see him and give him comfort. They don't know how bad things are. They've just heard bad things are happening to Job. Let's go see him. And it says they wanted to mourn with him and comfort him. And this is what we should do when somebody is suffering. When they're crying, all we need to do is just sit with them and cry. If they want to talk, let them talk. If not, don't. Cry with those that cry, laugh with those that laugh, weep, you know, uh, and just be with them. They come with the right attitude. We just want to be, him, be there. We want him to know that he is not alone. He is not suffering without anybody there. They come with the right attitude. But they get out there and it says in verse 12, and when they lifted up their eyes from afar, they knew him not. They looked at over toward Job and said, who is that sitting on the ground? You know, that can't be Job. Where is that rich man, well-dressed man that uh, everybody knows? Where is that man who loves God and he speaks about God and they see this thing? <laughs> You know, hunched over most likely, scratching himself in, you know, in misery. And they basically lose it at that point. This can't be Job. 
Have you ever gone to visit somebody and they're so far gone from what you remember them as that it's hard to even think it's the same person? That's where they are with Job. That can't be Job over there. That's not the man we know. That's not our friend. Our friend is the one that's always encouraging us about God and loving God. You know, he has all these things and we know bad things were happening, but it, that can't be him. Just can't be him. And it says they tore their garments because of what they saw. And this makes me wonder, what did they see exactly? You know, what did Job look like sitting on the ground, scratching himself with a piece of clay? Very much like a homeless and bald because he shaved his head. Well, at least tore his mantle, his outer car- garment. Um, yeah, this is what they're seeing. What they knew was a rich man, you know, standing tall with God. You know, they know bad things have happened to him, but they're seeing somebody, and you've got kind of a picture of it, the worst homeless person you can possibly think of that hasn't had a shower in weeks and, you know, clothes are barely on them and, you know, you, you see them, the flies are around them because they stink so bad, you know, it's, and this is going to be Job. And they look at him and go, all right, we knew bad things were happening, but that can't be Job over there. That can't be Job. We were expecting to go to his house and probably sit at some, ban- you know, smaller banquets than normal because he's really sad and bad things are happening. That can't be Job sitting out on the out on the yard and scratching, scratching himself in a, a blob. And that's what they see. And they don't understand it. They don't know how to react. Because it is worse than they ever imagined. You know, and what do we think when we see somebody homeless? We wonder what they did to deserve what the, where, where they're at. All of a sudden they're going, all right, we knew bad things were happening in Job, but man, Job, what has Job been doing that God is judging him this bad. What could he have been doing? What secret sin has Job been committing that none of us knew about that God had to take these drastic actions for him? So they're judging him. Yeah, we're looking real good compared yeah. to Job. We're looking real good. Now, I don't know what he's been doing, but, uh, but he is not behaving. It's an indication, is the, the word for friends indicates that they are younger. They're like a gener- half generation to a full generation younger than Job. So he's kind of more like their mentor and teacher. And this is the same thing. If you have somebody who's been discipling you, and all of a sudden they start turning away from God, it is hard to not judge. Why, why would they do this? What, what is wrong with what they taught me? How come they're still not following? And I think this is what's happening to them. They look at Job and it's like, okay, Job's always been our example. I wonder, what, and again, I wonder what he's been doing, you know, that he was hiding from us. Look how bad all this stuff is. There's an indication of that in that word of, in, the, in that word friends. It's not an absolute on there, but it does seem to indicate that these guys are like about a half generation behind him. And they're looking at him and saying, what's going on? Oh, even though he didn't get mentioned, I, wanted to, I do want to cover Elihu, because we're going to be told that Elihu, he's the younger of them. He's, down, he's like a full generation younger than, than Job. He is a descendant of Buzz. All right, so you all know who Buzz is, I'm sure. Buzz is the son of Nabor, which is Abraham's brother. 
So all these people coming to visit Job are descendants of Abraham. And in one, you know, one line or another, they're descendants of Abraham. So it's kind of an interesting thing. And then I'm going to say that even though we don't know where Zophar came from, because we don't know where the Namanites are from, but I have a feeling he's probably one of the descendants of Abraham through one of his other children, because they believe that Nama was somewhere in that area, because they've been, been around Job. Uh, so it's most likely in that area, which would have been the land where Abraham sent his 12 sons with Keturah's sons. So he's got Esau, his grandson, from his tribe. He's got uh, one from his second wife's family and one from his brother's family, all coming down to talk with Job. And so we got all of this going on. And it says, and when they were lifted up their eyes from afar, they knew him not. They lifted up their voices and wept. And they went every man his mantle and sprinkled dust on their heads toward heaven. And they sat down with him upon the ground seven days and seven nights. And none of them spoke a word, for they saw that his grief was great. Basically, they did not know what to say. And when you don't know what to say, your best thing is to keep your mouth shut. Now, there's a verse when Peter and, and uh, then went on to the Mount of Transfiguration. There's the verse that says, and Peter, because he did not know what to say, said, can we build three tabernacles for you, for you, Moses and Elijah? Now, he didn't know what to say, so he didn't shut his mouth. He came up with something. Now, how many times do we do that with people? I have no idea what to say, but I'm going to speak anyway. You know, that is the way the world thinks. These guys start out with the right attitude. We don't know what to say. We did not expect things to be this bad. We did not expect him to be outside of his nice garments. We did not expect that he has lost everything. We did not expect to see this massive, scraped up, bloody, you know, oozing flesh sitting in front of us. And they're sitting there for seven days and nights without speaking a word, which is really probably what they should do. They're waiting for Job to speak. And we're going to find out that Job is the one that opens up the conversation with them. But we, do, we need to learn to be able to do the same thing. Oftentimes, when I get called to go to visit somebody in a hospital or something, there's not much I know what to say. I wait for them to talk and ask questions. And then once they ask a question, I can start answering the questions. But sometimes it's just sitting there with them quietly and not being able to really say anything because you don't know what to say. You, you know, and we want to be very careful about this. His friends start out right, just being quiet. And then Job starts talking, and then they start talking. And things go from from just being miserable to being really miserable. You know, Job is already miserable. He's lost everything. His health is down, and all of a sudden he gets attacked by, by take four friends, because Elihu, after, after the elders start talking, he's going to say, well, you guys don't even know what you're talking about. Let me tell you what's going on. You know, I've been listening to you older people talk, and you, don't, you have not gotten to, the, gotten to the point, so I'm going to talk. And then God talks. And I love it that God talked. God comforted Job. God helped him to see what was going on. And we're going to go through a lot of chapters seeing this back and forth in poetry, uh, what was going on. 
But we are now done with the, basically, the prologue. All that's going on. We know why all of this is happening. Job doesn't. Job is going to start talking out of his anguish, and that's a bad place to be talking anyway. When you're hurting, that is not the time for you to be trying to explain what's going on to people. Because you don't know. All you know is you're hurting. He's in pain. He's suffering. He is in physical pain because of all of the all the stuff going on him. He's in emotional pain because of all, all that's been going on. And he's in psychological pain because he's gone from the richest to the to the poorest person in the, in the in the country. He's been saying the right things up till now, but he has gone through a lot of pain. He is in pain from every direction. And I don't know that anybody has ever suffered like Job has, uh, where his whole life is turned upside down in an instant. Now, some of us sometimes think that we have been, but I don't know that anybody has had every aspect of their life messed with like Job had. And yet, he stays faithful. Now, he's going to have a little harder time as these friends start telling him about how bad he must be. You know, Job, you know, and many of them, you know that bad things don't happen to good people, so what have you done wrong? We know that you had to have done something wrong because this just doesn't happen to good people. Job has already said that God is sovereign. Bad things can happen to good people. He understands it. He now has to drive his two opposing theologies together and say, God, I don't understand this, but I'm going to have to accept it. God, I've been good. Good things are supposed to happen to good people. I, I should be blessed. None of this should be happening. But you are sovereign, and anything you want can happen can happen. But I don't know how to put these two together. And we will face that oftentimes in our, in our, in our walk with God. Where we're reading along and going, oh, God, how can that be true? I don't understand. How can that particular statement be a true statement, God? Because I just don't understand. Because I believe this and I believe this, but God, I don't understand how they go together. And God says, well, we're going to put you through a trial to help you understand how they can go together. Uh, when we watch the Truth Project, Del Tackett calls it being in a cocoon where something is just so earth-shattering it doesn't match up to what you think. And walking with God as long as I have, there's been all kinds of times when I've been reading the Word of God and going, uh, God, that doesn't seem to match up to what I believe. Now, now I have to sit back and start doing a lot of research to figure out how that can be true, or did I read it right, or did I read it wrong, or how does it fit in? And you struggle and you, and you, and you wrestle with it. And God likes that. It is not a sign of weakness for us to wrestle with our beliefs about God. Matter of fact, it's a sign that we are doing what we're supposed to be doing. I always worry about people that will tell me, well, I just believe it because God said it. Well, I'm glad, but what if you read something else in the Bible that seems to say something different? What are you going to do with it? Well, I'm going to believe it because God said it. All right, let's see what happens when you get put into the test. Is your belief because God said it going to be enough? Job understood. He speaks correctly. He's a good teacher. I know that God blesses those who bless him, and I know that God is sovereign, but I don't know how these two go together, so I'll, I'm going to just trust. I believe it because God said it. I understand that he says, and what he said is true. Don't know why, but you know, I don't know why this is happening. I don't know how come, but I believe it. And he's going to be having God speak at the end and saying, I am sovereign. 
and God's sovereignty pretty much trumps all the rest of these things that he's going through. And he's going to be blessed again at the end of the, at the, end of the book. He's going to be blessed greatly again. He's going to get two times what he lost. And I feel sorry for his wife because she's got to have another nine kids. She had nine kids, lost nine kids, they're in heaven, and she gets to have nine more kids. I think she got hers, cursed God and died. So God, curse God so you can die? God says, okay, fine, you're gonna, we're going to let you help out. You get to, you get to have nine kids. <laughs> and they're not exactly young. <laughs> they're, neither one of them are young. Because he's going to live to be several hundred years old, which means she's not, she's not a spring chicken herself. And she gets to have nine more kids out of the deal. And I think it's directly because she told, told Job, you know, just curse God and die. I don't trust God enough to do this, so you just curse him and die and and we'll be, you know, everything will be okay. So we look at this, and this is setting up now the next 42 chapters, 40 chapters of conversations back and forth between Job, his four friends, and God. We know the beginning. We know why everything's happening. Job does not. How many times in our own life do we get into a place where we don't know why? I believe that this is not an isolated event. This gathering in heaven and Satan showing up and God saying, have you considered my servant? And he puts somebody's name in there. And Job says, of course I've been, uh, Satan says, of course I've considered him, but you're protecting him so well, I can't touch them. And God goes, okay, you can do this, this, and this to them and no further. And then our life starts to get turned upside down and we're going, why is my life being turned upside down? What is it that God has wanted me to learn? You know, and we have shared this many times. When things are going wrong in our life, we have to do a couple of things to, to look at. Our first question is, have I got sin in my life that I have not confessed that I need to turn over and I'm being punished? Without being too introspective, because we all know that we're all wicked, terrible sinners in the core of our life and we deserve anything that God sends to us anyway. But there's certain times when we just know that there is something in my life that really is causing me to have these problems. If that's the case, we repent and we, we bear up under our punishment. If we can't find anything that's very obvious, let me say, okay, God, what is it that you want me to learn from all of this? And start looking for what he's wanting you to learn. And knowing that all things are gonna to work together for good. Somebody may be learning by, by your example. And that's one thing I'm really getting to understand much of what we go through is to help others. But Job's a big picture of this. Job's got the right thing. He, just, he needs to know how to put it all together. But what he's going through is for these four friends to start learning about God. To learn that God is more than a prosperity gospel. He is a loving God who's sovereign and can do what he wants to do. They don't understand that. Job understands that. He's, he's struggling with it, but he at least understands it. These four friends need to know it. And that's how we're going to see God in that story. I'm God. I can do what I want. Job, you pray for these guys because I'm ready to strike them because of what they did to you. And Job intercedes for them. You know, you know, Job has overall the right heart and right attitude all the way through this. He's struggling. Believe me, he's struggling because he's having two doctrines that he believes that he can't put together, but at least he believes God. His whole problem was for him to be able to bring, his, bring those doctrines together, 
but more importantly to show these four men who are teachers probably in their lands, they're, they're followers of God, supposedly, but to teach them that God is sovereign, that God can do what he wants to do, and don't put him in a box, because they had him in this nice little box. Do good, good happens. And if bad is happening, then you deserved it. Uh, and that's a sad place, but there are churches and, and Christians that will tell you that. If bad things are happening to you, you deserved it. You've got to figure out what it is you've done wrong and, and get your life back together with God because you deserved whatever happens. Maybe you're, maybe you're Job being used to teach somebody else. And this is something that's important about Job. Job's whole trial was to help four other people learn about God. And that's hard to understand. God says, I will work all things together for good. Job, you're going to suffer for a period of time, and then I'm going to really bless you for that suffering, but they're going to learn. They're going to learn. And Job gets to see what it is. Sometimes God doesn't show us why. Job gets to see why. Of course, most of us don't go through what Job did either, losing everything. So that's where we're at here. We're getting ready to be moving into the conversations next week. Lord, we ask you to bless this time. Lord, help us to look at our lives when we're going through hard trials and temptations, to be able to look to you and understand that you are sovereign. You can do what you want to do with us because you are God and you care for us. Help us to always trust you in all that we do. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friend, do you know where you'll go after you die? Without the gift of Jesus, it will be an eternity in hell without God. Good works will not get you there. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. To spend eternity with God, we must recognize that we are sinners in need of Christ. For all of sin and come short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. To be assured eternal life, we simply talk to God, admit you are a sinner, and ask him for his free gift. You must mean the words to get the, to be answered. Jesus is waiting to hear your request. If you have asked him for eternal life, he has come into you and he will change you. Start reading the book of Ephesians and see what God says about your new life. After you understand the book of Ephesians, you can start reading the Gospel of John. Next, find a good Bible teaching church. Tell the pastor about your decision for God and be taught. If you contact us, we will send you a new believer booklet free of charge. Congratulations and grow in Christ. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by snail mail at P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona 86431. We are happy to help with your new life in Christ or even answering Bible questions. Again, congratulations on your decision for Christ.